Good morning. And our passage today for our message is from Romans 8. Uh, we're going to start with verse 12. So, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation whatsoever to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. But if you keep on following it, you will perish. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit you turn from it, and its evil deeds, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you should not be like cowering, fearful slaves. You should behave instead like God's very own children, adopted into his family, calling him Father, dear Father. For his Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we will share his treasures, for everything God gives to his Son, Christ, is ours too. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will give us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against his, its will, everything on earth was subjected to God's curse. All creation anticipates the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And even as Christians, although we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, also grown to be released from pain and suffering, we too wait anxiously for that day when God will give us full rights as his children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Now that we are saved, we eagerly look forward to this freedom. For if you already have something, you don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't have yet, we must wait patiently and confidently. Here is the reading of our word today. We ask God to bless it. So, think about today's message a little bit in the passage from Romans. Um, that it's from our lectionary. The it's it came to mind that uh, it's a good good time to focus on a couple things, maybe about our faith that uh, are kind of easy assumptions that we come to. You know, things that you uh, that you you know, but you're not really sure where you know it from, or you assume you know it where it's from. Um, Pastor Mike has talked about similar things like this using the words mental models. Uh, but it's, and it's essentially like that, um, like the assumptions that we just make about life sometimes and about our faith. Uh, the To think of someone's maybe uh, in the, the world around us, I, I was kind of, it's kind of tough to think of them because it's, our assumptions and so they're kind of ingrained in us that everyone believes them or it's common sense um but i did learn one of the things i learned back at iowa states years ago from one of my professors as there really is no thing such thing as common sense so uh it's the assumptions that sometimes get us in trouble uh like i have the the mental model or the assumption that everyone should uh not like the yankees but apparently people still root for them and cheer for them and, and even wear their stuff. So, uh, but that's an assumption that I make that they're not a team that anybody should root for, but uh, it, 
I don't even know where that came from, but that's what that's the way I, I assume everyone should live. Uh, maybe more biblical examples, though. Um, for instance, you might have the assumption or the mental model that uh, Eve was tempted with a, an apple in the story from Genesis 1, or in the first story of first chapters of Genesis. Um, and actually, it doesn't say apple. It says fruit. Um, but we often in uh, contemporary culture just kind of uh, think it was an apple because of what we've seen and heard throughout our lives. Another one kind of like that is uh, Noah's Ark. We we think everyone knows that two of every animal were were put on the ark uh, according to the command. Um, but actually, it says in there in the scriptures that two of every animal, uh, lots of animals, but some animals. I think uh, the clean animals, as it was described there, um, there was seven pairs or at least seven of each of those animals. So it's some animals got a, little, got a few extra on there. Uh, but Romans 8 here today gives us a couple more examples, maybe a little bit more uh, important examples of some, of some things that we might have assumptions about that we uh, uh, might affect kind of our, our faith walk, our life, and our you know, way of following God. Uh, let me read just, we're going to look at verse 12 from today's scripture, which even I realized today reading from this, the Bible, um, from our Pew Bible, and the New Living Translation, and I've been using the New Living Translation from the from the internet uh, recently. Uh, I think there's even some differences in that translation. That's going to relate really to a lot of what we're talking about. Is translation can be a big factor um, uh, into how we we look at scripture sometimes. But we're going to look at verse 12 here first. Uh, and in the the NLT, um, from what I found online, it says. Uh, which would be probably the, the most recent translation that they've done. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Now, in the same verse, uh, in, in the NIV, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. And finally, from the uh, Common English Bible, which is actually a translation that we, uh, that I, give to the kids when they're uh, um, at the ages in our one of our first uh, full-length Bibles comes in the, the common English Bible translation. So then, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it isn't an obligation to ourselves to live our lives on the basis of selfishness. Now, those are the same three verses, but obviously written in a little bit different way to try to translate um, sometimes it depends on the translations trying to go word for word or try to get the idea across. But what I wanted to focus on is in those three verses specifically, we see a different way of trying to describe uh, our sinful selves. We have uh, first, our, the sinful nature term is used in, in the NLT, but in the NIV and what's often common in some of the older translations, it, it's used the term flesh. And then in the Common English Bible, though, to, to kind of get uh, more current language, it talks about selfishness. The King James and the NRSV, by the way, if you're looking in those two, are uses uh, the word flesh for that, that sinful nature, sinful drive idea. Um, so we... The issue comes when we have these, when we look at that and we hear words like maybe you grew up with the word flesh, I think was in a lot of the translations I grew up with. Um, we start thinking 
it's a comparison between life in the spiritual realm, sort of, and life in the physical realm, in nature. And it can seem very dualistic in a way, uh, between what's materialistic, uh, actual material, not materialistic in like the, in a certain way, which kind of relates, but actual material stuff versus non-material things. It, we can quickly fall into thinking that's what Paul is talking about here into some kind of dualism there in our, and at least in our faith then that we end up thinking a lot more highly and more often about what things we, the things we think about or uh, what we consider spiritual things versus things we do and the actions in our bodies. Um, and that, which then therefore leads to an overemphasis at times on, on certain kind of sins that we think are worse because they're more, in a physical realm or something than, than they are in the mental realm. So fortunately though, recently there's been some changes in, uh, in, theo in theologians views and biblical uh, studies to, to better understand what Paul is really trying to get at here. Um, and it's tough because the problem is over the last 2000 years, we're trying to translate uh, what not only from a different language, but from, a time period from that far that long ago so this is one of the key reasons to to often look at the scripture as a whole and try to get the, the overarching theme and the trajectory of scripture and not just pull bits and pieces out and, and think we have answers and when we do that i think with this with this idea of sinful nature flesh selfishness i think we we can see that uh i think the ceb version has a good idea of, of using the term selfishness um at least it gets better to the idea of i think what paul is getting at instead of verses like flesh or sinful nature um even can lead to a more just equal nature with physical that kind of thing paul's not paul's not interested in, in um trying to put a dichotomy up between physical things and non-physical things and talk about someday escape plans kind of Christianity where we, we float away that the non-physical versus physical was, was a, was a belief um, in the early, early Christian church, early, early church that they had a fight against. It was uh, called Gnosticism. And it, the idea that material things are, are inherently have a evil are evil or have a flaw and uh, spiritual things or non-material things are, are inherently good. And therefore uh, uh, souls that, Lead, you know, float away and, and leave the body are kind of looked at as like our true selves versus uh, our whole beings as being one, as one being, being one, one person. So if Paul's not trying to uh, put a dichotomy up between physical things and non-physical things, though, what is he trying to say? Well, I think one way to reframe our mental models then in that way and the assumptions is to look at the comparison more that he's leading us in a comparison between a selfish spirit, our own uh, selfish spirit versus being led by God's spirit. The one spirit of our own selfishness leads to death, but God's spirit leads to life, which, okay, sounds good. We just have to choose the good spirit and we're good to go. Right. But uh, we get peace, love, success then probably from here on out the problem is it didn't really work that way for paul uh if we just go back a chapter or they didn't have chapters back then so maybe up the scroll uh in, a, in chapter seven 
We in around verse 19, we see Paul says, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Well, if Paul can't keep it together, what really what hope do we have? Well, the good news comes in here big time. God acts first. And he is in the adoption business. He's not waiting to find us have enough willpower to make sure we can follow all the laws and rules before we can come on the inside. He's not waiting us to pass some exam to get in into his good graces. God is a parent, a parent who sent his only son to earth to let everyone in on the news that we are all welcome into the family of God. We're all co-heirs with Christ. God doesn't ask us to just stop being selfish with our own willpower before we can apply to get into some heaven. He loves us already and is offering our his spirit to us first. The spirit that gives guidance and power to live life to the full. And therefore we have the great honor of calling him Abba Father. Now this doesn't, again, still does not promise some kind of easy, successful life. That's another uh, false theology that often gets used though, that if we, if we do the right, follow the right things that the, God tells us to do, that we're gonna have some kind of successful life automatically. That's another, that's a false theology. And I think it, it even was back then in Paul's days too, because Paul seems to be defending himself a little bit about why he's going through so much suffering. And he has something to say about it in verse 17 and 18. Uh, he says, but if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Talking about Jesus. We, so we, we're still going to have pain, still going to have trials in this life, in this time. But we also have hope for our presence, both a, a presence of God with us now and to be in the family of God now, but also more fully in a renewal, time of renewal in the future when we're fully reconciled. Now, speaking of the future hope, uh, a second mental model that we have at least I kind of uh, had when I was growing up a little bit, I think, and, and for much of my life uh, was related to uh, the physical earth. It's related to the first, our first one about physical things versus non-physical things, but it's even more uh, particular about uh, our interpretation about humans versus all creation and that kind of thing. Common perception is that we, that when we talk about our future hope, that we were talking about, uh, a non-physical future where we're, our souls, again, go somewhere else after death. But let's look at verses uh, 19 through 21, then, what Paul says. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. So Paul's not a, not preaching some kind of escape plan for our, for us to go float away into 
a heavenly destination that's far, far away while creation gets destroyed or burns away. Now, don't get too excited, though. I'm not here to share with you all the answers of what happens in the future and after death and all that kind of thing. I don't have all the answers. And I, but I also just don't think the Bible is that interested in giving us all the answers in, about that. It's not, it's not interested in, um, and it's not primarily focused on giving us some blueprints of what uh, the future, future is going to look like. Paul, though, is, it seems is that he's looking forward to that renewal, not, not some kind of escape, getting out before the, the world crashes. Uh, and not only that, but he's also looking forward to all of creation being renewed. God cares not just about humans, but he cares about all of his creation, it seems, especially we can see Paul saying here, which seems to fit more like, more, uh, a lot better with the Lord's Prayer his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, speaking of the th theologians that have uh, kind of helped us, and uh, one who's who recently passed away, actually in just June, um, James Dunn, put it this way. Believers are being saved not from creation, but with creation. The sonship they are privileged to share in some sense with Christ. They in turn share in some sense, with creation. So how do we treat the earth different if we, or how would we treat the earth different if we looked at it as being renewed, as it having a future hope also like we do? So what, so what do we do now? How does, uh, Maybe changing these assumptions that we've had, or if maybe you don't have them, but I, the ones I've had, uh, how does changing those change us? I hope it provides hope uh, that we are not left alone in our selfishness, that we that we don't have a father with a checklist, a God waiting to see us fail and and mark us up. Uh, maybe you've been afraid of of not measuring up to God's standards or even not measuring up to what, how other people live their faith out. And the good news I think we see here and throughout the Bible is we can let go of that fear. We can let go of that shame because God says, first, you are my beloved child. He loves us first. And this is what biblical freedom provides. We are free not to do what we want, when we want, kind of maybe a little bit more Americanized freedom. That kind of freedom still can lead to death because it follows the selfish desires, selfish spirit. Instead, we're offered a path that's led, both led and powered by God's spirit and by grace. It's all grace. Not easy to do, not an easy path, but life-giving. Part of the not easy part is our calling to take care of creation. I, I think it, it's, it's a sad state when we, when you would, I, this is kind of just an assumption again by me though, if we would, if people would be asked, do you equate Christians with being people who truly love and care for creation? I'm not sure we would win uh, that survey very well or do very well in that kind of survey. 
even know all the way back in Leviticus, we, we, we see how God cares for the land. Uh, did you know that one of the commands we have in Leviticus is for the people to give the land rest, uh, like a Sabbath rest. So every seven years, there'd be no planting on the, on, on the, on a certain area of this land or each land area would be given rest every seven years. Um, so if God even demonstrated back then that he cared for creation and he, and he called it good, obviously, uh, what does that say to us about our use and sometimes abuse of creation? I, I know I have a long ways to go in this area because um, it's convenient to not to not think about uh, caring for the creation the best we can but it but it doesn't lead it's, I don't believe it's where the spirit is leading us so uh, overall in summary though what do we hear Paul saying I I want you to be able to let the fear go let shame go that that you don't measure up, or that you haven't done enough, or that you need to do more, because God has come to us first. That's the beauty of uh, God loved us first. So don't let, or do let shame go and let fear go, but don't let creation go. We need to care for the, the things that God cares for. And finally, follow where the Spirit goes. Now, where is that? I don't have an exact prescription of where the Spirit's leading you or leading the church, us, even. But what we do have, from another section of the Bible, of course, is of what evidence will be displayed when we follow that Spirit. That evidence uh, called the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I don't know exactly what God's calling you to do, but I do know that whatever it is, it's going to lead to these kind of outcomes, this kind of fruit. The 2020 this year has been quite the year so far. There's definitely been some suffering, but our choice comes in our response to that and our response to God. Do we want to be led by the spirit of the, of the creator who calls us to live lives as children of God, as his one and only son did? Or do we choose to follow our selfish spirit, which might feel better in the immediate or seem safer even sometimes? but ultimately doesn't lead to life, the life that we were created for. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the chance that we can still gather together even when the storms are raging outside. Uh, we pray that you will guide us with that spirit, Lord, your Holy Spirit that uh, is with us. that we would be able to follow and be uh, examples of you, as, your, as your children, Lord, and demonstrate your, the fruit of your spirit. We thank you for your love and for your redeeming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.